Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. We're continuing to overview Paul's letter to the Romans that he wrote from the city of Corinth on his third missionary journey. And we've come to Romans chapter 6. Now, up to this point, Romans 1 through 5, Paul has really set the stage for uh, the heart of the gospel message that he's coming to, that it is by faith that an individual is justified in the eyes of God and not as a result of works or adherence to the law of Moses. He set the stage in chapters 1 through 3 to say that both Gentiles and Jews are accountable to God uh, for their actions and for their lives. And uh, in chapters 4 and 5, he talks about how salvation comes as a result of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not as a result of works. In chapters 6 through 8, Paul's attention turns to what a life lived in faith looks like. He first asks if believers should continue in sin in order to let grace abound. His response is a resounding, never, no way, not a chance. Paul responds by saying that our, our baptism into Jesus was a baptism into his death, whereby we should no longer live for sin, but instead we should live for Christ. Look what he says in chapter 6, verses 11 through 14 here. He says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace." In verses 15 through 23, Paul talks about how we were formerly slaves to sin, but now have been freed from sin and are slaves to righteousness. This slavery to righteousness and to God should not be thought of negatively, but in a positive sense, that we are no longer free to do whatever we want, but are enslaved to produce the fruits of righteousness. The ultimate contrast between sin and death is that the fruit of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Slavery to sin brings death. Slavery to righteousness brings eternal life. This is the heart of what Paul says in Romans 6, 23. In chapter 7, the chapter deals with the believer's relationship to the law. In verses 1 through 6, Paul says that believers are no longer bound by the law, since they have died and have been reborn to Christ. 
Look at, at verse 4 of chapter 7. It says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. We serve now in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the law. Paul uses the image of marriage and how it only applies as long as the, the person, the spouse, is living. And this is a, a picture of uh, the believer's relationship to the law uh, as he discusses in verses 1 through 6 here. Now, in chapter 7, verses 7 through 25, Paul moves on to describe the purpose of the law and its role in our lives. The law was given to show us our sin, to reveal sin, verse 7. Verse 9 shows Paul's experience of feeling uh, innocence when he did not know the law, and yet Upon hearing and understanding the law, he says, sin came alive and I died. The law points out the sin that's already present within us, but we may not be aware of it. He then expresses his own struggle against sin in the, in the rest of chapter 7. The law is good it is holy, it is righteous, it is good in verse 12, but sin produces death in a person in verse 13. Paul recognizes that it is sin within him that, that wars against his desire to do good. Now, I take chapter 7 as Paul's experience as a believer in Christ where there are two realities uh, simultaneously occurring. The, the Holy Spirit lives within him since he has put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet his war against sin and his sinful nature is another uh, reality that continues to exist. So believers have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, and yet our old sinful nature, our old persons, that are still warring against the Spirit. Paul desires to do what is right, but he ends up, he says, doing uh, not what he wants to do, but what is wrong because of the sin that dwells within him in verses 18 through 20. Uh, Paul concludes this section uh, by saying, I'm going to read this, verses 21 through 25, so Paul says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I think that that statement there really points very strongly to this being Paul's experience as a believer. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh 
I serve the law of sin. So believers in Jesus Christ have this ongoing struggle, this war that we wage against our flesh, as Paul will call it in other places. We shouldn't think of this strictly as our bodies or the material part of us, as though somehow our bodies are inherently sinful. I think a better way to understand this is our our old nature, our unregenerate nature, the person that we were before we came to faith in Jesus Christ. And we continue to struggle against those natural desires and wage war within our minds. Chapter 8 describes the empowering work of the Spirit of God that allows believers in Christ to triumph over sin in our lives. Paul begins this chapter by saying that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a wonderful statement in verse 1 uh, that gives us assurance uh, that we will never be condemned in God's eyes because of the faith we have in Jesus Christ. The, the, the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is because the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death in verse 2. The righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled in us because of the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. It's like Jesus covers us or clothes us with his own righteousness in verses 3 and 4. The Spirit gives new life and a new way of living. We're no longer in the flesh, but now are in the Spirit, in verse 9. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to him. The, the Spirit is a guarantee of future resurrection, in verse 11. We've just recently seen the same type of statement in 2 Corinthians. Having received the Spirit, we've been adopted as sons of God. So that whether Jew or Greek, we can call him Father. And I think that's the point here when, when Paul says we cry out, Abba, Father, as most translations will say. Really, this is an Aramaic word and a Greek word, Abba, Pater. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, we all have access to God the Father. We are co-heirs with Christ so long as we suffer with him in order to be glorified with him in verse 17. This is a common theme in Paul's letters, that believers need to continue to bear the fruit of faith in their lives, cannot simply coast through life living like the rest of the world. True believers in Christ do not do that. They bear fruit. Uh, they continue to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul also says that the Spirit is a preview of, of what is to come. The sufferings of this present life are incomparable with the glory to be revealed. All creation is groaning and waiting for the appearing of the sons of God and the restoration of creation in verses 21 and 22. The Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses praying and interceding on our behalf. He works all things for our good, which is ultimately to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The chapter concludes with Paul giving a powerful statement that as believers, nothing can separate us from Christ's love. Verses 38 and 39, For I am sure 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Great statements that give us key assurance of our salvation. Now, in chapters 9 through 11, these chapters deal with the nation of Israel and the question of whether God has cast them aside. In chapter 9, Paul explains that God has chosen some throughout history for his purposes and not chosen others. This is true of Abraham, of Isaac, but particularly in the life of Jacob. Jacob, uh, God says, Jacob I have loved Esau I have hated. God is just to show mercy on whomever he will and to withhold it from whomever he will. Why does he choose some and not others? Well, that is who God is, and it is his prerogative to do that. In verses 19 through 24, Paul answers the objection that this makes God unjust for choosing some and not others by saying that God is the potter as creator, and we are his clay. He makes some vessels for one purpose and others for another purpose. It is his sovereign right to do so, in verses 21 and 22. We can no more question God than a clay pot could question a potter in this regard. So some from Israel have received the promised salvation through faith in Christ, but others have rejected it. In chapter 10, Paul shares his desire that all the people of Israel might be saved. He expresses once again that salvation is available to all, both to Jews and to Greek. He makes clear how salvation occurs in chapter 10 and verses uh, 9 through 13. He says here, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wonderful verses clearly expressing the gospel message there. We'll pick up here in chapter 10 uh, next time. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partners.